you this morning, we're going to look at the same passage that we looked at last week. And I was trying to justify myself to my wife the other day. She, I think she was making dinner and I was, I don't know, doing what I do best, sitting on the couch. And um, I mentioned to her, I said, well, I, I know that I'm doing two sermons from the same passage, but Martin Lloyd-Jones did seven sermons from the same passage, so I thought, well, I'm, I'm not as good as Martin Lloyd-Jones. I can't, get, I can't get seven sermons out of this, but um, we'll see. Same, same passage. We're going to look at it. Uh, we're going to look at it from a different angle, but um, Acts chapter 2, verse um, 41, God's perfect word. So then those who had received his word were baptized, and that day they were added about 3,000 souls. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. Many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together. They had all things in common. They began selling their property and possessions. They were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, what a glorious passage this is. How, how encouraging it is to us who are fighting a good fight of faith to see, Lord, that our faith does overcome the world and even that being a gift of, of your grace. We thank you that you've saved us. We thank you that you are busy saving souls day by day by day by day, adding, Lord God, to your own flock. Someday all of the various peoples from every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation, as um, different as we are, gracious God, someday we'll be one, truly one, under one head, even one shepherd, and we being your lambs. We look forward to that day. Teach us, Holy Spirit. Grant me mercy today in the preaching of your word. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. I mentioned last week that we looked at this particular passage, um, 41 through 47, and what we looked at last week was the nature of the church, the nature of, I would say, the visible church, and then the marks of the visible church. Invisible church, all the elect, those who will ultimately believe in Christ Jesus, we don't have the list. God keeps the list to himself. But the elect of God are all those who have believed, will believe um, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, those who are appointed to eternal life, those are the ones that believe. So that's the invisible church. As the church as God sees it. What we're looking at is, is, is the visible church. All of those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ along with our children. And so when we talked about the nature of the visible church, notice that God does not say through the Apostle Paul or through Peter or James or John or even Christ. Christ doesn't say, I'll build my Baptist church, I'll build my Pentecostal church. He doesn't say, I'll build my OPC church. Those who love the Lord Jesus Christ in spirit and in truth, those who believe the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, they are the members of Christ's church, whether you're a Presbyterian or a Lutheran or a Baptist or an Independent or, or what have you. And we've, we mentioned, I tried to mention, that as we looked at the nature of the church, the church is not a building, um, the church is people, people that have repented of their sins and they've grieved over their sins and they've repented 
to the Lord Jesus Christ to receive, receive mercy. The church is comprised of those people who believe in Jesus. I know it's super simple. The church is comprised of Christians. Christians are people that believe Jesus is the Christ, the son of David, David's son, David's Lord, fully God, fully man, our sin bearer. Christ is everything to, to us as Christians. And the longer we live, he should be increasingly everything to us. And we've, we've mentioned um, that uh, those, the church is comprised of those people that have received water baptism. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, specifically here in the name of Jesus. The notion is we identify with him. Is it Acts chapter 11? And, and everyone that believed in Jesus there was called in Antioch Christians. So we should never shrink back from, are you a Christian? Have you ever been asked, are you a Christian? And our response should be immediately what? I am a Christian. Guilty as charged. I am a Christian. So it's those who believe in Jesus, those who have repented uh, to, to God in Christ, and those people who have been baptized, and those people along with their children um, are members of the visible church. And we not only from this passage looked at the nature of the visible church, we said something a little bit uh, about the marks, what makes a what makes a sound church. Again, kind of cross-denominational. I'm not speaking, I'm not, really I'm not speaking about OPC, Presbyterianism, Baptist, Lutheranism, those kind of things. All of those things aside, if you just look at the general marks of what constitutes a true, biblical, Christ-pleasing church, we'll see from our text uh, that we talked about last week. There's the ministry of the Word, the administration of the Bible, what goes on up at the front, we're a military town, so people come in and they, 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 sh- they come in for either six months or whatever length of training or three years, and then they ship out. And so when folks ask me, the young men ask me, so pastor, when I go to my next leg of training, what should I be looking for in church? And for me, based on the Bible, marks of the church, the fundamental mark of a true church is they preach, preach the Bible faithfully. So if you go into a church and the guy has another book in the lectern, in the pulpit, I would leave. <laughs> I would leave. If he says, you want to hear the book I just bought from Books A Million? No, thank you very much. Zippo, I'm gone. So the, the faithful administration of the Bible, both law and gospel, that's a mark of the church. And then also in our text, we said the mark of the church is the faithful or the right administration of the sacraments. And I know this is where we cut one another's throats as Christians. How much water do you all use? Do you baptize babies? Or do you baptize 7 and 12? Let's just put that aside, just for a moment. The proper administration of the sacraments, and Christ is the one that initiates the sacraments. And there are two in the church, not nine, as in the church of my youth. So there is baptism and the Lord's Supper. Do they baptize in this church? Uh, do they administer the Lord's Supper in this church? And how do they do it? Is there genuflecting? Is the sign of the cross? And all of these things you think, well, that's picayune. Well, if you read the English Reformation, they killed our English forefathers for not making the sign of the cross or genuflecting at the Lord's Supper. So it's not necessarily picayune. Or do you add oil to the water of baptism? All of these things are man-made inventions that we think, what's the big deal? Is it a big deal to corrupt God's ordinances? I would argue yes. So faithful administration of the word, faithful administration of the sacraments. And then um, is there prayer? Is there praise? Is this a praying people? Again, marks of the church. 
And then another mark of the church, which we don't see in the text, but it's implicit in the ministry of the word, which we as Reformed Christians maintain is a proper mark of the church. How do you know a church is a, a true church? And that is the faithful or the right administration of church discipline. I know people get really nutty with that. We really shouldn't. It's implicit in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. The word is fit for correction, for rebuke, and all of those things. Um, I spoke with a person, not a church member, and they were talking about uh, adultery and so on, not for themselves, but just in theory. So I said, well, if I know a Christian is committing adultery against their wife, what am I going to say to them as their minister? You need to stop. Adulterers will not inherit the kingdom of God. You need to stop this. And then as their minister, I'm going to keep ramping that up. And if they don't stop, what happens? We get the elders involved. We, we um, prohibit them from taking the Lord's Supper. And then eventually they say, you know what? I'm not letting go of my girlfriend. Uh, I am going to let go of my wife, and I'm going to hold on to my girlfriend. And what, would the, what should the church do if they're rightly administering the word of God to a man or a woman like that? 1 Corinthians chapter 5. You need to go. So, again, all that is is the administration of the word on an individual basis when someone is not living according to the word of God. That's a dicey business. Maybe we can talk about that later in another sermon. Most churches don't want to have anything to do with church discipline at all. They're afraid to apply the word of God on an individual basis because they're afraid of people. Because if you do it, you're going to have two people in a house cat and you're going to seem like unloving people. But you're not unloving. You're loving to God in Christ, and you're loving to that person. It is loving to tell a person, stop doing something that's going to hurt you and eventually damn you. It's very loving. People don't do it. I get it. But it's a mark of a true church. That's what we looked at last week. Today, what I thought I was going to look at last week is what I want to look at today. What I, I titled the sermon, Fellowship of the Saints or the communion of the saints. That's what we're looking at from this particular passage. And I would argue to some degree or another, the fellowship of the saints is actually the practice of those marks that we just talked about. Words, sacrament, prayer, praises, and we'll leave the discipline for another day. Those kind of things, the administration of the sacraments. But we're looking at the fellowship, the friendship, the communion of those people that have repented, believed, and all of the things that we have just mentioned. I want to say something about the fellowship of the saints. And I promise I'm not being polemical. Maybe I'm being a little polemical. But I'm preaching to the choir because you're here. So <laughs> it's very common. I've been a Christian, I don't know, so I'm, I'll be 58 pretty quick. I don't know what I was, 26 when I was converted? I forget. And I've been here almost 21 years. But I've heard many, many times from people just as I'm out and about, or you bring your second cousin or your, your grown son, you bring him into church, and, and they say, or you say to me, um, well, they're Christians, or the person says, I'm a Christian, I'm just not the kind of Christian that goes to church. I just, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus, don't get me wrong, I don't, I don't go to church. And maybe they'll throw in, I believe in Jesus, I still read the Bible, I still pray. I doubt that, by the way, just to tell you. I highly doubt, this is just me with my Boston cynicism, if a person doesn't go to church, unless they're providentially, providentially in, hindered. So if you, you're laid up in a hospital bed, I'm not talking about that person. I'm talking about the person who's out playing golf on Sunday who says, you know, I just don't go to church. And then if they say, I don't go to church, and I really do read the Bible, and I really pray, I don't believe they read the Bible, and I don't believe they pray. That's just me. 
because the Holy Spirit speaks through the Bible and speaks through prayer, and you would be convicted because the Bible says, go to church. <laughs> don't not go to church. But these people will either say, sometimes they say, I don't go to church anymore because when I was three, the associate minister, I heard him say a bad word. I met a Christian somewhere who, my Aunt Tilly said she was born again, and Aunt Tilly smoked cigarettes, or I don't know. We find some Christian that we go, I don't go to church, even though I'm a Christian, because the people that go to church really are hypocrites. They're bad Christians. And so I don't go to Christian uh, church because I don't want to be around bad Christians because I'm a good Christian. How am I doing so far? I'm, I think I'm pretty close. Or they say, don't get me wrong, I do go to church. <laughs> Why say here? So they're denying what God the Holy Spirit is recording in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 is the fellowship of, of the saints. People that come to Jesus Christ, they want to be with other people that come to Jesus Christ. And so this other mysterious class of people, that, and you know some of them. I know that you know some of them. Some of them have your own last name. They're your sons and daughters and all of that. Are you talking about my little buttercup that doesn't ever go to church? Now that he's 67, he went when he was five? Yes, yes, I'm talking about buttercup. Is it legit? So the, so the, the answer shouldn't be us saying, well, I think, I feel, I think, I feel. What's the answer? What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say about people that believe in Jesus? Does it say sit at the house and play golf? What does the Bible say? And what is the, the practice recorded in the Bible of those people that have repented of their sins and found forgiveness in Jesus? So it's Bible. Again, even, it's easy to say Protestant, Reform, Sola Scriptura, blah, 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 blah. We, we don't care about that. Talk is cheap. Living it, living it is a different critter altogether. So what does the Bible say? Well, the Bible says the people that believed in Jesus all of a sudden hang out with other people that believe in Jesus. Does the Bible show us practice who come to Jesus and then mysteriously just hang around with themselves? No. The Bible says. Jesus says, I think, seven times in the book of Revelation, he who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the what? The churches. We want to be good Brians. So whatever comes out of this pulpit, you should be looking at your Bible going... Huh, is that an Acts 17, 11? Is that a Bereans? Is he right on that? Can I really be a good born-again Christian while I blow off church left and right? Is it, doesn't the Bible let me do that? I'll tell you right now. No. Again, if you're sick as a dog and can't go to church, we're not talking about that. So what does the Bible say? The Bible talks about the fellowship of the saints. The first thing I want to see before we look at the various elements of, of the communion or the friendship of believers in Jesus Christ in the church, is the whole notion of fellowship itself, the idea of community. Um, that's a, uh, I guess there are buzzwords. So I've been here long enough to know early on in my ministry there was another buzzword. And then later in my ministry, there's always a buzzword. And one of the buzzwords is community. Um, like, and another thing is like with community, like do life. I don't speak like that, so sometimes I feel like I'm in a time warp. Like, y'all do life. I don't know about doing, what, what does doing life mean? I wake up, I go to work, I get my lunch bucket, I come home, and I do it all over again. What do you mean do life? But community. Well, the Bible does talk about community. I don't know about using it as a hip word. Um, we're, not a, we're not a very hip church, but I don't think this is a very hip church. But look at, look at every verse that we read. Verse 41, 42, look at every single verse. And what you will see 
in our passage is the usage of the third person uh, personal pronoun in all of the various plural words, people, 3,000 souls, they, um, uh, they gather together. So as we're considering the fellowship of the saints, what we're being taught is the church, the visible church by definition is plural, plural ones. Remember what the church is. It's the called out ones and it's the gathered together ones, underlined ones, plural. So it's, it's plural, not individual. We're going to talk about individual salvation in just a bit. But right away, I want us to see from Acts 2 that what we're looking at when we talk about the fellowship of the saints is a gathering together of Christian people. And fellowship, by its very definition, is a communal idea. It's the meeting together of two or more people. You can't really fellowship with yourself. Some of us are more constitutionally uh, inclined to be loners. I am more constitutionally inclined to be a loner. When I was a young man, I used to tell my folks, when I grow up, I'm going to be a hermit. Um, you're, you're not basically, <laughs> you're, not, you're not really glued together properly when you, your aspiration is to live out in the woods alone. That's why I became a, a minister. But I do recognize that there are some people that are fine with their house cat in a, in a library. I'm kind of one of them. But I, I, we have not been created to be alone. We have been created by God to be in communion or society with other people. And the church carries with it that idea that we are fellowshipping, having friendship with another human being. In this case, another Christian human being. So the fellowship of the saints is, if I put it this way, it's us and ours, not me and mine. That's important for us. Us and ours, not me and mine. And just think as you hear that. Our flesh, as our brother talked about in Sunday school, our flesh is a me and mine. <laughs> but God the Holy Spirit calls us away from that, calls us together in Jesus Christ, and we are to consider others higher than ourselves. I alluded to just, just early or, or here, remember the words that um, God referred to the very first human being, Adam, what he said to Adam, Adam's in creation, um, sin has not entered the world. He said, it is not good for what? For man to be alone. So as I mentioned, we are not made to live alone. You stick a human being in solitary confinement, like solitary confinement, they're going to be a wreck. We are social creatures. Even though I say I constitutionally think I could be a hermit, I can't be a hermit. God has given me a person that makes me not be a hermit, people that make me not be a hermit. It is not good for us to be alone. God has created human beings, no matter what people may say. I know sin has wrecked all this business, but he has created us to live in communities. And the three fundamental communities that God has created us to live in is the family, the church, and the state. Now, when you study the Bible, how long did the first family, the first church, the first state, I'm talking to Adam and Eve, how long did they enjoy sweet, perfect friendship and community? How long did it last? I think eight verses. <laughs> we, we, we have the creation of everything in Genesis 1, the creation of Adam, and then Adam and Eve in marriage in Genesis 2, it's extrapolation of the creation of man, Genesis 1. And then in Genesis 3, 1 through 8, it's Katie bar the door. Uh, Adam and Eve sin. And then what happens to perfect fellowship after that? It goes right in the can. And all of that to say, 
What was the lie that the devil used against Eve to trick her to sin? What was the lie? Well, you don't have to listen to God. You don't have to listen to God. In fact, when you disobey God and listen to me, you can be your own God. And get this idea under our belt as we're considering the idea of community, friendship, being in love and serving other human beings, uh, and not self. The lie that the devil used was a selfish lie. You can be God. You dictate truth. In fact, you know what? It's all about you. It's all about you. It's singular. Unregenerate men, I think the book of Judges nails unregenerate men. Natural, unconverted men, what, what does Judges say? In Judges 17, Judges 21, and every man and every woman did what was right in their what? Their own eyes. That's men. So our flesh is not inclined to what we're looking at here serving one another, loving one another, having friendship with one another, all of these one another's, which is the community idea of the Christian church. As soon as our flesh hears, wait a minute, it's not about me? No, y'all are not here to serve me. <laughs> no, This is like in Christian marriages, the, 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 the woman is devastated, the guy is devastated, because when they get into it, they think, oh, I thought you were for, to, to basically fulfill every need that I ever had. Oh, no. No, we are here to serve God together. When we hear this business of serving others, having that other spirit, the flesh says, no, I don't think I'm, I wanted that kind of Christianity. But the Bible comes along and says, oh, no, we're just supposed to have the same spirit. I'm thinking of Philippians 2, 1 through 11. We're supposed to have the same spirit that was in Jesus when we gather together. And what's that spirit? Let me take off my fancy clothes and put on a towel around my waist. Let me get down on my knees with another towel and a wash basin basin, and do what? Wash your stinking feet. (laughs) Why? Because I love you. And why do you love me? Because God in Christ loves you. And he's made us one together. So we're created as communal creatures. In the fall, we are not good communal creatures. In the fall. Even when... Even when... Fallen people live in communities, which we all live in communities. We're not good at it. That's why we're lion tigers and bears. And then when we're restored in Jesus Christ, we are restored to be communal religious creatures. And we see it right away. This is not something that you have to conjure up. As soon as these people came to believe that Jesus was their savior, all of their sins were forgiven. What happened? Zingo. They look for one another. They hang out with one another. They love one another. If I could just say point of personal privilege, that's exactly what happened to me. I didn't have anyone teaching me any of this. No one came with a book from R.C. Sproul or anything like that. I was converted in a truck in Massachusetts. And the moment I was radically converted, I didn't know Baptist, Presbyterian, nothing except Jesus was Lord. The next thing I did, inherently, I need to find other Christians. I need to hang out with other Christians. No one was teaching me. I would say no one was teaching me. Who was teaching me? God was teaching me. God, the Holy Spirit inside of us draw, is the one that draws us to Christ and it's the same one that draws us to other people drawn to Jesus. So we are created and recreated as communal creatures and as religious communal creatures. And I guess that's why we're referring to this as the fellowship or the communion of the saints. When you hear that word fellowship of the saints, again, in the church of my youth, the Roman Catholic Church, we didn't use that word saints. 
Um, the only people that were saints were canonized by the magisterium of the church. In other words, the leadership of the church called, I don't know, Padre Pio because he could do blood and the other things. They said, oh, he's a saint. I, I don't mean that at all. I don't think that's biblical. And plus the stigmata, I, I, I highly doubt that. A saint in the Bible is what? A person who's made holy in Jesus. So when we're talking about the fellowship of the saints, it is a religious fellowship, a religious unity or community. It's those people that love Jesus gather together with other people that love Jesus. That's what's going on in this text. So, and then when you look at the passage, it's these people, look at, the, look at what's going on. Uh, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' te- teaching, and they, they devoted themselves to their fellowship. And I want to say this about the fellowship idea. Remember we, we said, maybe poked a little fun, of the folks that said, I love Jesus, I just don't love Christ's church. The people here, and I realize it's an historical, a particular historical occasion, they wanted to be with one another. They wanted to be with one another. They wanted to go to church. Um, in my youth, there was, no, there, there was no debate about going to church on Sunday. There was no debate because my father was a large man and he had a um, he had a, a instrument that would engender obedience to, to um, so if he said we are going to church, I never thought because he had used this other instrument to engender obedience that it would be a good idea to say I will not go, be going to church because I would have had the uh, discipline administered to me and then I would have got my mind right. Coercion to go to church. The moment I left high school. In 18 years old, what, what, what happened to me in church? Hasta la vista, baby. <laughs> the old man's not going to beat me with a belt anymore. I'm never going to church. <laughs> so it's one thing to say, you need to go to church. A lot of guys do this. They marry and the woman wants to go to church or they just want to be in the garage messing with their trucks or whatever. And the wife is like, and not in a nagging way, you know, let's go to church, let's go to church. And the guy does what? I'm the leader. Okay, let's go to church. And they go to church. We're not talking about that. That's not this. Anybody can be coerced, bragged, bribed to go to church, buy a cup, go to church, here's five bucks. That's not that. This is something markedly different. They go because why? They want to. They do it continually. They do it with a heart of devotion. Martin Lloyd-Jones, I, I love Martin Lloyd-Jones. He says that he never... He, he never, to anybody that came to the churches that he was a minister, he never cajoled them for not going to church. He never asked them to come to church. He never asked them to join the church that he was a minister. He's a genius. I couldn't hold his bags. He says from this passage, that's why he never did that. I, I think I disagree with him a little bit. Hebrews 10, 25 says, don't stop going to church as some people do. So it corrects. And the book of Revelation, Revelation 2 and 3, what does Jesus say to the seven churches? Here are some things that you're getting right, and here are some things that you're getting wrong. And so I get what Lloyd-Jones is getting at. And what Lloyd-Jones is getting at is this. If you have to tell a person, go to church, go to fellowship, fellowship, there's something wrong. There's something wrong. Um, Desiring Jesus. You don't have to beat a person to Jesus. They love him. And, And what we see here is these people love other people that love Jesus. Now, we look to politically and socially, everything's crazy. We're always thinking, is it going to be World War Ten? 
if it was World War X, if it really was World War X and we're forced to eat that tree out there because there's no food, I'm going to tell you something. We're going to miss this, like big time miss. And we're going to chase this like big time chase. When, when you lose something that's good and you know what you've lost, you're going to want it with a passion, right? So, and that's kind of what's going on. All these people got excommunicated from the Jewish church the moment they believed. So they got the boot from all of their family and friends. And what happens? Hey, I have new family and friends. People that love Jesus like me. I'll hang out with them. So, so that's what we see. We see this fellowship idea restored to us in Christ Jesus. Now, let's talk about the elements of the fellowship of the saints that we find what they're doing when they gather together. Look at your text. Verse 41, 42, they're receiving the word of God preached by, by Peter. They're continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. Let's look at that first. So I, I would argue this way. It's classical, classic um, Protestant way to argue. Doctrine for, first. Doctrine first, practice second. Sound doctrine, sound practice. So the first element of the fellowship of saints is that they're coming together as believers to hear the word of God. In this instance, the word of God, the apostles' teaching, we're, we're, it's before the close of the canon. Canon means Bible. It's, so you have 39 books of the Bible, Old Testament. They're written, obviously. And then whatever uh, numbers of books were written in the New Testament canon. But it's not completely closed at this time. So God was still directly inspiring apostles to speak and then write the canon. But when we talk about gathering together as the fellowship of God's people, as the visible church, to hear the word of God, when we say the word of God now, subsequent the close of canon, death of the last apostle, we mean, Protestants mean, um, of every stripe, Bible, Bible alone. There's no extra special revelation. I know I have Pentecostal friends too. I used to want to be a Pentecostal. I love them. If they love the Lord, I love them. But have, if you've seen, wait, I'm getting a special word. What's that? I do not believe that. I'm what's called technically a cessationist. That's another sermon. Uh, Hebrews uh, 1, 1 through 3, that's another. If you've been around people that are non-cessationist, who was the fellow out in California um, a little uh, a, a young girl died and he said to the parents do not bury your baby because God the Holy Spirit just told me that I'm going to raise her from the dead that is gross that, that is gross and that's sin and so when we talk about when we gather together we're gathering together to hear the word of God taught and preached and prayed and praised that's the first element of the fellowship of the saints. Again, I'm not really picking on Pentecostal brothers and sisters. I myself am not one. I don't like to hear. I actually don't hear when people say, because I still do move in various circles. Oh, you know, the, the Holy Spirit just told me this and the Holy Spirit just told me that. If I'm not looking at the Bible, I'm not really interested. John Owen has something. He says, well, if the Holy Spirit told you something in the Bible, then it's redundant. If the Holy Spirit told you something that's not in the Bible, it's wrong. You see what I mean? So when they're gathering together, we understand they're gathering together to hear the Bible. That's what they want. So Christian fellowship, obviously in this context, I would argue uh, preeminently on the Lord's Day corporate worship, 
is to receive religious instruction. So this is where we grow in Bible teaching and in Bible uh, preaching. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. Um, Romans 1, Romans 10, 1 through 17. Father, sanctify them in thy truth. Thy word is truth. So it's the word, the word, the word, the word. And that's what they're gathering together to uh, receive from the, in this case, the apostles. And they're coming to hear the whole Bible. And um, I, what have I, I mentioned, I've been here almost 21 years, January 21 years, so 20 and a half. Many years ago, as a challenge to myself, I started preaching Old Testament books at the, in the evening. New Testament Christians, Christians are not as familiar with the Old Testament as they should be. It's two-thirds of the Bible. So why would we cut ourselves off from two-thirds of God's Word? And so we're ignorant of it. And so as a challenge to myself, and as a challenge and a help hopefully for the church, I started preaching through the Old Testament in the evening sermons. And so when these people are... The Bible says the foundation of the church is built upon the apostles and the prophets. And not just preaching the Old Testament, Daniel was brave, you should be brave. That's not proper preaching. That's moralism. It's how can I find Christ here? What is God... How is he teaching and leading his people to Jesus Christ even in the Old Testament? So the people are, are coming to be instructed and they're coming to be instructed as they gather together for the people, as, as the people of God. We learn something else implicit. Our brother has mentioned this in Sunday school. This is one of the things that happens with the Protestant Reformation. Sadly, everyone, this is, a, this is an error that's very common. Everybody's Martin Luther at, the, at, the, at Wittenberg. No, not at Wittenberg. At, um, at, oh, come on, what is it? Uh, worms, the Diet of Worms. At the Diet of Worms, Martin Luther said, here I stand, I could do no other. And here's how this works. In, in, unless I'm convinced by solid reason in the Bible, I'm right and you're wrong. This is how it works in the modern ch- Protestant church. The minister is never right. <laughs> He's never right. Everybody is Martin Luther. Here I am on everything that I've never even looked at the Bible. I am right and you are wrong. But we're not seeing that in the Bible. What we're actually finding is Peter is preaching. The apostles are preaching and teaching. The Bible actually says in James chapter 3, not many should be quick to be what? Teachers. So when we're talking about the assembly of the saints, the gathering, not everyone has the same function in the body. God says to one, you have this gift. You have the gift of teaching and preaching. God says to another one, you have the gift of administration. You have the gift of encouragement. Now I'm going to bring you together. This is the church. I'm going to bring you all together as the church, first and foremost, to be instructed. And so the teacher, preacher, he has a responsibility to God in Christ, but he has a responsibility to you and God in Christ to preach and teach. And so we gather together. He is responsible to preach. We are also responsible to do what? When we're gathered under the preaching of the word. I have a, I have a job to do, a calling. And my calling is to be as faithful with the word as faithful to you with the word as I can be. But when you gather together to hear the word, do you also have a calling? Do you have an obligation before God in it? Yes. You are obligated to do what? First, to be here. And then secondly, to do what? To receive it with faith and love. To check it. To check it against the word. Is this true? To examine everything. Is it true? And then what's true? Let's say you hear something from me that's Bible that you don't like hypothetically it runs you the wrong way well, what are you talking about that's my favorite sin of course I'm going to keep doing it and I say well actually God has a different opinion what are we supposed to do when we come there 
I'm supposed to have God's opinion, right? That's our obligation. I have an obligation in the ministry of the word. You have an obligation in the ministry of the word. There's a right hearing and a wrong hearing. Does that make sense? So they gather together to be instructed. This is how we learn and grow, mutually encourage one another in Christ Jesus. So we're coming to be taught the word. And I would argue if a person says, I am a minister of the word and he doesn't preach the word, he's a false prophet. Um, he's useless. He's worse than useless. So if you were to go to a church and the, the preacher is not preaching the Bible, it's, it's positively harmful to your soul. And you won't grow um, in the image of God and of Christ. So the minister has a, a calling. The people gathered together, they have a calling. And we, we see that the people are devoted to the teaching. And a few things here. They're, they're, they're continuously gathering together. They're continuously, daily devoted to the teaching of the Bible this is another thing like attendance. Um, this is not a two-minute like, um, you know when you wake up in the morning, like now that I'm older, I can barely see until I get my glasses, and you walk around and you're like blinking just so you could see. It will happen. Um, this is not like a two-minute like rubbing the schmutz out of your eyes, look at the Bible. And because when you do that, when it's a two-minute Bible like glance, what is that? That's a goose egg. What are we being told? They devoted themselves to it. They continued in it. When you were dating men, if you knew your wife when she was in college, before she was your wife, she was your girlfriend, you wanted her to be your girlfriend, right? Or think back wherever you were. Did I, did I have to like beg you? To, didn't you want to like, you're like, I want to spend time. I want to, what's your favorite color? Oh boy, your hair's pretty. Oh, every, everything, right? That's this. That's this. They want the word. They hunger for the word. So it's not a two-minute Bible reading, and it's not a five-minute look at a devotional book. And I'm not, I'm a, I love devotional books. I just bought another one this week. I love devotional books. As long as they don't replace what? Bible. Bible. <laughs> I said it before. Uh, Charles Spurgeon said, we should, we should visit other books, but we should live in the Bible. And he's exactly right. And so th this is a hunger and a thirst. Do you, have you ever had that as a Christian? Have you ever had like, you know what? I, I actually won't fool around on the internet, internet for five minutes. I'll actually read my Bible because I want to. That's what we find here. And they gather together. The next thing that we see them doing is our brother teaching this on Sunday school, verse 42, verse, 40, uh, uh, verse 42, verse 47. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to be breaking bread, and to what? Prayer. Prayer is part of the fellowship of what we gather together for. And verse 47, and they were praising God and having favor with all the people. Prayer is the way that we commune with God. And when we gather together and we pray to God, pray with and for one another, and I, I would say this, if we're not around one another, this is, the, this is one of the downsides when people say, I'm taking a break from church. And by the way, I'm sympathetic with that. I, I shouldn't say this, but I am a little sympathetic. I can't do it because this is what I do for a job. I'm somewhat sympathetic when people say, you know what? I think I'll take a little bitsy break from church because I'm not getting what I want from church. Plus, my life is going lousy and I'm crabby. I get that. I do get that. 
And I'm sympathetic with being crabby and pouting at the house. I'm very sympathetic with that. However, when you're not here, what, what then practically happens? I don't know that you're crabby and you need prayer. Show up if you're crabby and you need prayer so that your brothers and sisters could say, oh man, you got a cross. I'll pray for you. Or you've got something to... How are we going to mourn with people that mourn if we don't know they're mourning? How are we going to rejoice with people that rejoice if we don't know they're rejoicing? So this, this is one of the places, not the only place we see they're gathered together on other days. But this is where... And then when we mutually gather, let's just say there are some Christians here that are on a mountaintop. Let's say there are other Christians here that are in a valley. What can the Christians who are in a mountaintop help for the people that are in a valley? Better days are coming. God answers prayer. I mean, this happens to me all the time. I visit people in the church, members, you all, and I know you've lost a son, you've lost a daughter, you've lost a husband, you've lost a wife, you've lost health, you've lost money. And I go to your homes and I walk away thinking, we're, we're praying together, we're praising together. I leave edified. So when we gather praying together, you know what it does for us? It take, I would argue sometimes our self is like a mini tyrant. We, all we think about is me, 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 me. Gathering together when we can hear the saints corporately praying, corporately praising. It's one of the ways that we can set our minds on other people and serve other people and love other people. And it's one of the ways that we can be heaven. We, we need it. We need it. Because everyone here talks to themselves. Everybody in this room talks to themselves. I talk to myself out loud because I'm here alone all the time. Is our self-talk always good? No. No. You're never going to make it. It's lousy. This is broken. Bleak, bleak, bleak. Depression, depression. Right? Yes. We come here, what? You're loved by God. You're provided by God. You're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You're on your way to heaven. There's joy in the Lord. So staying away is the opposite of what we need. But you do it. When you get depressed, the first thing you do is you stay away. But it's the opposite. Sometimes when you get sick and you need food, you, you stopped eating, but it's the opposite. So one of the marks of the church is we, we gather for prayer and we gather for praise. If you don't go, to, if you don't gather with other believers, you're not going to be praising God with other believers. There's something about, I think Martin Luther said next to the Bible, he thought that the greatest gift was music. Um, my little grandson, my, my, daughter, my daughter's older one, the two-year-old, when he hears like little music, what hap- you don't have to teach this to a kid. <laughs> something happens when you're hearing amazing grace, when you hear the wonders of God being sung, what happens to our spirits? It, 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 it revives. And then another aspect of the fellowship of the saints, and I'll probably be briefer here, is the administration of the sacraments. And we see them certainly receiving water baptism. We talked about that last week. In our passage, for our purposes, they're, they're breaking bread. There are a couple of places, verse 42 and maybe another one in 46, 47. So there are two ways to take the breaking bread. One is the sacramental way of take, understanding that, and the other is the more ordinary way. One is they're taking the Lord's Supper, and the other is they're having a a, a common meal. We gather together as the church to receive the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. And I know, again, I I think this is a low ecclesiology, a low doctrine of the church. There are people who think, you know what? 
I'm Sally. I could be at the house. I could be dishing out the Lord's Supper. I think this is a big time bad thing. You have not been called by God in Christ to handle the mysteries of God. I would not do it. So unless God called you, and if you're a lady, he hasn't called you to be a preacher in the ministry of the sacraments, but there are people that do this all the time. They'll do the, they'll do the sacraments at the house. They'll baptize you in their tub if they want to, and they're not a minister. They'll be administering the Lord's Supper just around their picnic table, and they're not a minister. It's not what we find in the Bible. It's just not what we find in the Bible. And so when someone says, I'm not going to gather with the saints, you're not going to get the Lord's Supper. You're not going to get one of the sacraments that God uses to strengthen you in Jesus Christ. Am I right with that? So this is what, one of the benefits that we, and they, they come to receive the Lord's Supper gathered together. I want to read something to you from our secondary standard. Is it our confessional catechism? Let me see. Um, ah, our catechism. This is from our larger catechism. It's on dealing with the sacraments. And I want you to hear this, especially in relationship to the relationship we bear with one another as we come to the supper. How are they to receive the Lord's sacrament, the, the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, to, to prepare themselves before they come? How are you to prepare yourself when you come to church to take the Lord's Supper? Now think of this in relationship to other human beings, other Christians. They that receive the sacrament of the Lord's Supper are, before they come, to prepare themselves by examining themselves of their being in Christ, of their sins and lacks, of the truth and the measure of their knowledge and faith, repentance. Now get ready. When we come to the Lord's Supper, it's an opportunity to examine our love to God and our love for what other people. The brethren, do I love other Christians of my charity to all men? This is why when we look around and we think, wow, our society is crazy, and you see Christians oh, I hate these people over there because they're the wrong kind of people. No, 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 no. I may disagree with them. I may pray for them. I may want God to stop them that they would not be successful. All of those things are true. But I'm supposed to do what to them? I'm supposed to love them. Well, you can't do that. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Say to your neighbor, yes, you can. <laughs> In Jesus Christ, you can do everything. So when we come to the Lord's Supper, it's an examination time. Do I love God? Do I really love the brethren? Well, I love my kids and I love my grandkids. I just don't love you over there. That's a sin. And it's another opportunity for us to repent. Here's some more. For charity to all men. Here's one. When we take the Lord's Supper, forgiving those that have done them wrong. Hello. <laughs> so the Lord's Supper is an occasion when we partake of it to look around in our minds and go, is there any people that have done me wrong that I would love to do them wrong? Yeah. What should I do for them? And why should I? Well, the last time I checked, we're vile sinners. And as Christians, Jesus has done what to us? He's forgiven us. So all of these things we partake of in the corporate fellowship. Now, the, I, I take the rest of the passage they're, they're breaking bread day to day, house to house. This is a regular meal. And this is another part of our Christian fellowship. This is not the end of the Christian fellowship. It's not just, I'll see you at church, and then <laughs> we never see one another. These Christians wanted to be around Christians, not just on the Lord's Day, but during the regular week. And some of it's very understandable. As I mentioned, they're getting the boot. Most of them are Jews. They get the boot right out of the synagogue. And that wasn't just, get, it's not like getting kicked out of Covenant OPC and then being a member of the other 2,000 churches in town. You got booted out of the synagogue. You had zilto. 
Zilto, zilto, zilto. No fellowship. And so now as a Christian, the only people that you could have religious fellowship or friendship with are the believers. And you sought them out. And so they took time out of their day-to-day lives to be with these other Christians. What's going on when they were breaking bread and being with one another day by day? What's happening there? What's going on? Love is going on. Love's going on. Our brother prayed it. I think the unity. This is the fellowship of the saints is one of the, when we gather and then as we gather together throughout the week, it's one of the the ways in which we get to practice our holy faith. Jesus says the preeminent mark of being a true believer is that you believe in election. The preeminent mark of being a true elect person of God is that you believe in infra-supra-lapsarianism. No. What is it? You love other Christians. You love them, love them. Like, love them, love them. They wanted to be with other Christians because they loved them. And so when you gather together, is it the only thing you could talk about the Bible? No. You gather together because they're Christians and you love them. Now, if you have another Christian in the church that has the same interests of you, I think back when I moved to Tallahassee, I'm from Boston, and I met a guy, a young guy with wife, married with kids like me. He liked to canoe. We would go canoeing, and we would smoke cigars. We would talk about the Bible. There was no dirty talk, no dirty jokes, no drunkenness. We would, I, I would pray for him and his family. He would pray for me and my family. Did we always talk 24-7 Bible? No. But the word of God was governing our friendship. I wanted to be with him because he's a believer. And he wanted to be with me because I'm a believer. That's what's going on here. So they're loving one another, practically speaking. Now here we see a particular expression of love. They give money, material good. I want to back up. Later, if you have a, a Bible computer program, mash in these words, one another. Those two words, one another. The Bible gives admonitions. God gives admonitions to us as Christians that can only be done when we're in fellowship with other Christians. Love one another, build one another up, admonish one another, encourage one another. If, <laughs> if we don't ever meet with other Christians, we can't do any of those things. Correct one another, any of it. I mentioned the person who was, I had the discussion about uh, adultery many, many, many years ago, back in Tallahassee, one of my brothers in the Lord who taught me the faith, who taught me the faith, and my kids were homeschoolers, his kids were homeschoolers, we knew as Mona was friends with his wife. One day we were having coffee and he told me a dirty joke. Never did he do that. Beloved, we don't apostatize all of a sudden. It's little bit by little bit. And what did I say to him? Brother, you're teaching me the Reformed faith. You just told a dirty joke. Brother, stop, please. So this isn't the minister top-down Zig Heil. This is brothers and sisters meeting together. So it's the unity of love, the unity of the Spirit, unity in Christ, unity in the Word. And then what we see with the example is there are poorer Christians in the church and the non-poorer Christians are helping them out with material um, goods. Some people have come, I think Hutterites are one. Some people over the years have said, well, what this means is Christianity teaches a form of communism. I would argue against that. I don't think this is meant to be um, a stricture applied to all Christians 
of all places at all times. This is, is, is a particular church, the Jerusalem church. It occurs in a particular time, right after the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Later in the book of Acts, God says to Ananias and Sapphira, the house, the property that you sold, it's still yours. So this is not a form of communism. What this is, is an extraordinary expression of love and kindness in connection with an extraordinary outpouring of God the Holy Spirit. And in addition to this, a lot of these people are not going to have a long time to live. If all of a sudden we mention World War X, we're having World War X, let's just say, and we're meeting as a church, let's just say, and we're in the midst of World War X, and I know that you don't have any food, and I know I have extra food at my house. Who's getting extra food? You are. Why? Because I'm not making it till next week anyways. Neither are you. I'm reading a book on the Pacific Theater right now, and these, these men were sharing little bits and little bits and little bits because they were this close to going to glory. A lot of that's here. So it's understandable. But behind the extraordinary principle, we're taught something which the book of James teaches us. True Christian fellowship is not just in word. It's not good enough to say to a brother or sister who's starving, I love you in the Lord. Be warm and well fed. I'm going out for um, down to the new restaurant at the bay. <laughs> These people took from some of the gifts that they had to alleviate the suffering of fellow brothers and sisters. That's the Christian faith. And they had great joy. And notice what happened as the world is looking, the world is looking at this. Wait a minute. We booted them out of the synagogue. We're threatening to kill the whole lot of them. They're gathering together. They're worshiping their Jesus. They're, they're receiving their sacraments. They're praying. They're praising. And they love one another. You see, we, 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 we think like we need this movement to take over America and to, to be a reformed. Oh, beloved, forget, bag the movement. You want to know the movement? Here, here's the movement. Love God. <laughs> love Jesus and love Christians. Be devoted to his word. Have joy in the Holy Spirit. And part of this is the world is looking around going, you have something we don't have. We have something you don't have. And it's the gift of God in Christ. And, they, and, and, their, and their joy and their community and their love was infectious. And God added to their numbers daily. This is evangelism, certainly, but God blesses this. Our desire that we have met Jesus Christ is to give him away. And as we're living like those who love Jesus and love Christians and love people, that, beloved, is the platform for God to grow his church and to increase our joy. Amen? May God be pleased with the preaching of his word.